millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. Independent TD Matty McGrath wants a cap on refugee numbers, but not everyone agrees. We'll also explore how a dangerous social media narrative has emerged that Ireland is full, something the Taoiseach spoke about earlier this week. That would be a concern that certain groups will exploit this to, to try to boost a political agenda uh, around migration, and that would be very, very regrettable. And I think we have to draw heart from the fact that so many communities out there uh, from the very beginning have responded very warmly. A recent study found that 90% of people believe the levels of anxiety in Irish society is worrying. Tonight, we ask, is it time to confront the age of anxiety? And later, we all enjoy a scare at bedtime, but is it time to stop decorating our homes for the witching season this Halloween? Do join the conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight, VMTV. group in County Tipperary are fighting plans to convert holiday homes into long-term accommodation for up to 70 asylum seekers as the government continues to source suitable accommodation. Residents in Pocon say their small village is an unsuitable location with limited access to services. The main concern for the, the, the people of Pocon is we're living in a small rural village, um, population of about 220 people. And it's the increase in population and lack of services in the village to cater for these people. Where we would welcome people into the village, um, we simply don't have services for them. People of Pocon and local areas can't access GPs. Our school is absolutely maxed. Well, caps on the number of refugees travelling to Ireland continues to be suggested by some TDs. And with an emerging dangerous trend on social media that Ireland is full, what more is going to be done by the government? Well, joining me here to discuss this is Green Party TD, Nasa Hurrigan, Independent TD, Matty McGrath, and political editor of Independent.ie, Philip Ryan. And via Skype this evening is senior analyst for strategic dialogue, Kieran O'Connor, who investigates online extremism. You're all very welcome to the programme. Philip, I'm going to start to you because there's been a lot of discussion, I suppose, particularly since the weekend, about a lack of bed space for those seeking asylum in this country, about the potential for alternative accommodations and about, I suppose, the government's messaging at this point to those who might be looking for asylum here in Ireland. Where are we at? Well, the reality is we're full and uh, the government has run out of accommodation. There's been people sleeping in the Dublin airport the last couple of nights, um, mostly men who, who've, who've travelled here. Um, I think a lot of the, the women and, and children have been accommodated in places. But the government has run out of space and it's back to the drawing board, which they've done in recent days. And they're in the process of drafting up a new memo, um, which will go to the, an incorporeal cabinet meeting over the telephone either tomorrow or the next day. And there's a range of measures that are being looked at there. They're looking at um, 
paying people a little bit more to have uh, refugees in their home. They're looking at um, changing um, army barracks into places which can be converted into accommodation for them, whether that be the actual barracks itself or putting prefabs on the site. A, a range of other issues. The, the, the same kind of stuff that we've heard um, sometimes around general housing crisis, like this idea of trying to identify vacant properties that could be used which is something that they've been talking about readily um, generally about the housing crisis. So look, it's, there's a lot of work to be done there. There's also the messaging that, is, that they're trying to put out to people before they come here, in fact, through messaging services over in, um, in Ukraine or elsewhere, is that, look, you can come to Ireland, we're happy to have you, but we mightn't be able to house you. And notwithstanding all the work that has been done to find alternative accommodation, the government is accepting at this point, aren't they, that there will be a shortfall of beds by the end of the year? Oh, I think that's 100% the case. It's a shortfall now even. That's the reality of the situation. And I think as well that when the government were looking at this to begin with, it was an emergency situation. They were hitting the ground running. The war had just started. The hope was that it was going to be a short war. It would have been over long by now. But I think the reality has seeped in. This is a long-term thing now, if not a medium-term thing. That, and, and planning around it has to look at that way. And are we seeing more local concerns being raised, like we saw in that clip that we played just at the start of the programme? Look, this is the, the typical, uh, not in my backyard, NIMBY stuff that happens uh, throughout the housing crisis. This is just another part of it. So um, we've seen it when we saw it in, in various guises when people were trying to set up um, direct provision centres down the country in various places. People didn't want that. We've seen it when people, when builders are trying to build apartment blocks, people don't want it. People don't like change. They don't want uh, their communities changing from the way they're used to it. They don't want um, extra Even though they're saying, look, there's just not adequate services. That's what I was going to Yeah, exactly. They, they don't want any pressure on their services, whether it be schools, GPs, shops, anything. That they, they just don't want that. So, and and look. In and the, the numbers are huge at this point, aren't they? Just to be clear, in terms of the numbers of refugees that come in from Ukraine and from other countries. Yeah. What struck me was a figure, two figures that I, I saw in a, a government press release the other day. One was that there was last year we were dealing with something like I think it was seventeen thousand people who came here um, as seeking protection, and this year we're, we're dealing with something like fifty-five thousand. So it's a huge change, and it's a huge thing to have to deal with. And like this idea that the government, I suppose, would have a plan ready to go for a, a situation like this is probably a bit farcical. So. It is a bit by the pants of their seat, seat or their pants rather, so um, that they that they have been dealing with it. And yet, okay, it has been, as you say, maybe by the seat of their pants by times, and it is difficult sometimes to get the sense that there's any medium or long term planning. But ultimately, Matty McGrath, they have found accommodation for fifty five thousand people. They have been successful in their efforts. So why do we need a cap? Yes, they have indeed, and uh, just thanks in the, in the main to many people and communities that opened their homes. And I said out to him, and it's the island of a thousand welcomes and the kid made a fault. Yes, but I've said all the time, we can see this coming. And it's partly the responsibility of the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach to kind of open borders and 100,000 was mentioned, 200,000 was mentioned. But there any thought. And then to hand it over all to, to Minister Gorman's department. That's a flitting department. It's a new enough department. They haven't the, the, the resources to deal with it. Like there's log jams. Five people in Tipperary contacting me. They've signed contracts. Um, one person signed a contract last July to supply 10 rooms. I know the building well. It's a good room. I've stayed in it myself. And he hasn't had the dicky board. So there's, uh, there's a gentleman in Wicklow telling me that he has 2,500 uh, beds like that. He's organising that as well. Mm. Same person that he has them all over the country. And for some reason, the department aren't engaging with him. OK, so. well, that makes it sound, though, Matty McGraw, like there is space yeah, out yeah, there. That's so my why point. do we need a cap yeah, No, but space? I mean, so supposing we get 100,000, so where are we going to put it? There's not infinite space. I mean, we have to cut our cloth according to measure. 
And above all else, look after the people we bring in. The clip from Pocahontas, every village is the same. We can't access GPs, can't access schools, can't access social welfare services. And, you know, we have to be reasonable and understanding. So it's, where do you think the cap should fall or should have fallen? I all the time said 30,000, just gone way past that now. But, I mean, I was told that you were being ridiculous, but we cannot manage 100,000 if they arrive. And are we going to have them here, like we saw this week? in Dublin Airport, sleeping on the, on the floor and sleeping in, in other places. So we just have to be realistic well, what here. what would you have them do, Matty? Stay in... Yeah, what's the alternative, <coughs> Matty, I suppose? I'm not, I mean, it, I'm not saying the government have said, put out that it would take 100,000, 200,000, no problem. Come on. But we know we can't deal with them. The services are stretched. And I salute the communities in Tipperary and elsewhere that have come together voluntarily and have them in on a temporary basis for a couple of days or a week, and they try and relocate them. But, Everything's been maxed out. Now, I don't know... OK, if let, gonna... let me just let NASA in there. Everything has been maxed out at this point, according to Matty. And, indeed, if you listen to that other commentator in that clip there from Pocon, people are more than welcome, but we quite simply don't have adequate services and we don't have adequate accommodation at this point. Do you agree, well, NASA? No, I don't. I, I fundamentally don't agree with that. And, uh, uh, look, this is the biggest humanitarian response that this state has ever undertaken. And we've largely been successful. You know, we have managed to accommodate 55,000 people, just over that. Um, 44,000 of those directly accommodated by the state. And, yes, yesterday there was 36 people who had difficulty getting accommodation. None of those were women or, chil or children. But today, every single person who arrived did get um, accommodation. And ultimately, I've, you know, look, of course communities are concerned if you have a huge influx of people. But ultimately, there'll always be reasons to say no. But these people are fleeing war, and the alternative is to leave them in a war-torn region as winter closes in. Now, I don't think Irish communities want to do that. We are not at the so level... So are are you don't think their concerns are legitimate? Or oh, no, no, no. There, there their is concerns are legitimate, no, no. but they ultimately want to welcome people? What are you saying? I think that there, there are legitimate concerns around services. I don't think that those legitimate concerns are constrained to just the issue of Ukrainian uh, refugees because I get that across my door all the time. Services aren't adequate. Ultimately, as a nation, we have to decide, are we going to take on this endeavour, this huge humanitarian response to a terrible war, and are we going to see that through, or are we not? And ultimately... And is there a limit on that? I... Look... The EU has, has kind of set out parameters for every country. We're no, nowhere near our limit at the moment. Um, and I think that increasingly, if we find it difficult to find accommodation, we might reach a natural limit, but we are not there yet. OK, Matty, we're not there yet. There's a huge divergence between what the government think and, and what they want and they feel they wish to do. And everyone's the same. We want to do, do right and do good, but we simply cannot do it. Our services, look, I know the next part of the programme we're discussing services, but we just don't have any mental health services or, or um, even get access to, to GP. They're leaving them. GPs are flying, the dentists are flying away from the GP schemes, and people are just waiting years. We just haven't. That is lovely. And it's nice for the teacher to say his grandiose words and we're open borders. It's just not sustainable. But, our, but, our... but do we have open borders? Which we do. Because uh, you even take the deportation figures. People who've gone through the system and been deported, many of them go missing. They're never deported. So we have. We are lax. And we must have a tightening up, a huge tightening up of people. But you're not Some... suggesting that we deport Ukrainians. I'm, I didn't say that. I'm saying people who've gone through the system, that were not, ever before Ukrainians came were being out into the community and just going missing and filter into different places. And we can't have that going on. We must have borders that we control, sea and land, and ensure that. Do you, do you think we, we are being lax? <coughs> yes, we are being lax. Not I mean, no, I don't agree. This is a humanitarian crisis. They're, they're, 
the situation in Ukraine is worsening and certainly in the war-torn regions, things are, are descending into a very difficult time. It seems that the Russian army is digging in and is not going to give up particularly easy. So I don't really understand how we are going to look at that and watch that happen, watch that happen to mostly women and children and say, well, you know, we can't find a place in the, school, in the local school for yeah. you. That's just not realistic. Well, what about our own homeless families? And, I mean, if we get them out doors all of a sudden, we can't even manage that. Every, successive governments have failed to make a dent in it. Every, Can we not do both in parallel, do you think, Patrick? Not, this is the problem. I don't think you should get into an us versus them situation or trying to weigh people up against the other. I think, every, I think anybody, number one, who comes here from Ukraine, they're not coming on holidays. They didn't say, like, I'd love to go to Ireland and sit in a conference centre in a bed beside someone else and a half of, uh, an old board between them. And the people who are in homelessness as, as well. I don't think we can... A lot of them don't want to I be in homelessness, of course. Like, I don't country. think you can compare the both. I'm, I'm just not saying that we're a small country. We cut out a lot of cotton to measure. Look after the but people. I'm just wondering. In. I'm just wondering what what is the alternative for these people? I mean, you accept that they do have to flee. Let's just look at the situation in Ukraine. Yeah. You accept that they can't remain in that country. That it's not safe well, for many people to remain. Are, many Where do they go? Who else takes them if we don't? Yes, many parts of it are thankfully uh, safe, and it, you know the war is kind of in certain areas. It's a horrific war. But as I said, we don't. Um, we have to. We have to move a small. I'm country. sure most of the people who flee don't feel that they're in a safe area, Matty. No, I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying that the war isn't all over Ukraine, is my point. And women and children, yes, by all means, but we were told that there wouldn't be men of, of fighting age, and now we see that there are. So our checks and balances, the message went out, and I'm glad to hear Philip say now that his message has gone out to say, look, we might be able to take you, but we can't just give you all a luxury accommodation. The message went out that we were open for anyone who wanted to come, and that was the wrong message to send out. And, and do you think the message was, we're, we're here, we're open, we're giving yes, luxury was, accommodation? Michal Madden is an avid supporter of this, and he kept singing it out, and the tarnished as well, and he's going to take over his T-shirts. So now we have a job in kind of curtailing that message that we will can take you, but we can't, we can't guarantee that we'll have roofs over your head and we'll have a modicum of supports. If we can't get GPs out of the ordinary people, how are they going to get them? I'm just saying, well, we have to be the, the way you're proposing this is like this is some luxury holiday that they're all coming over for, or this regime. Like, but half of them, like, no, they, they, they can't speak, the language, well, you they did, can't you, work. In fairness, Matt, you did, you did talk suggest, about luxury accommodation. I think no, a lot of people have not been put up I'm in luxury accommodation I'm here. I'm saying that we'll take 100,000, maybe 200,000. That was said in the Dáil and different places by both the Tisha and the Tarnasha. And, and alluded to and referred to. And that sent out the message, look, here we go, this is a great place. So now we know look, that we've maxed out and it's not as great as we thought because we can't just cope. Simple yeah, and, and to be honest, is that a fair point, NASA? Because the government hasn't explicitly said, you know, Ireland is closed. But they are putting messages out there on social media to those in Ukraine, you're more than welcome, but we can't provide accommodation here. So, you know, in a sort of roundabout way, are we sending out that, that message maybe... at the moment? It is closed. Yeah, no, no. That is not the message. The message is that there may be difficulties in the early days when you arrive in receiving accommodation. Ultimately, um, I, I think that, you know, this, this would be something that we work through and that it, it emerges over time, our plan. Like in, in March, let's say, we found 5,000 uh, accommodation beds in student housing. And then in May, we began planning for, for modular housing. And I know the Cabinet are, are signing off on, on new plans. Um, it, it has to, it not, it's not going to be a clean, easy solution. This is a, a wartime situation. It is going to be messy, and, and we, we did need to see, work with people. Yeah, we did see the T-shirt today, didn't we, Philip? Sort of another call-out 
for state-owned accommodation that might be suitable. Mm. So he clearly doesn't feel like we've exhausted all options. No, and look, you can see it around the country when you see the big empty buildings, you see old hospitals, you see old hotels sitting empty. Like, there is a job of work that could be done on a lot of those, but then what do you do? Time. Yeah, it does. It, it takes time. That doesn't happen overnight. So, and then there's, there's a, I think there's going to be a push for people if they have a second home or if they have a holiday home to maybe give that over on a, yeah, a, a longer-term basis. So is it not worth a second push, Matty? given the fact that people are fleeing war, looking to be safe, not looking for luxury accommodation, if, as Philip says, there are other options out there. It hasn't been exhausted my, yet. No, my simple point is that the government just went into this like, uh, lovely vision and to see we'll take out and do this, but they didn't give it any plan. Those buildings that Philip talks about, they're in every town. And in most towns, big buildings are closed, hospitals and elsewhere. And it takes time to get them back in. And, and the modular build, that option was closed so many times for the house, social housing list, it has never materialised. So we're so slow to deal with it. And okay. the pattern of housing seems to be gone missing in this year. And county council are told one thing. I heard TD after TD today standing up in the door to debate on housing, calling out how many vices they had in each of their constituency. Thousands of them are added up. They're lying there. Not to, haven't been brought back into use and, and, and investments. The council say they haven't the money. The government say we're giving right. you the money. So it's not... It's, it's, but it's also the no point, there, there are options there. I just want to go to Kieran O'Connor because there was <coughs> um, a hashtag trending in the last couple of days. Ireland is full, Kieran. Will you tell me who's behind this hashtag? What is the message that is being sent out? Sure, yeah. Well, first of all, there's a danger of amplifying the sort of vitriol that's behind this hashtag merely by covering it. So we must be careful and yep. critical and call it what it is. It's an online campaign to portray refugees as, as lesser than human or, or threatening or undeserving um, of housing to claim that there is a sinister plot to use refugees to replace white Irish people or to portray opponents of this worldview as something akin to uh, traitors. Now, this is being... Uh, shared and discussed on, on, on Twitter primarily by, I uh, suppose, lots of kind of far-right figures, far-right voices online. And, of course, there are important questions to be asked about Ireland's housing of refugees, its policy of housing homeless people, or its policy of housing people in general, and they're all related. But you won't find any objective information or become better informed on any of these topics by engaging in that hashtag or this campaign. So what is the best way then to try and tackle that? Because there is, I imagine, some confusion if people at home are, you know, sharing some of the concerns that perhaps Matty raises tonight and looking at the hashtag there that's trending and thinking somehow they're related. Well, Michal Martin said that he's worried that far-right groups will exploit, seek to exploit the housing crisis. This is it in action. This is a, a far-right campaign of sorts to, to scaremonger and, and, and portray refugees as dangerous. Unfortunately, the far-right groups and figures in Ireland are already trying to capitalise on this housing crisis by trying to use it to put forward their own exclusionary worldview. And I suppose the danger of campaigns like this is that there's nowadays no meaningful difference between online and offline uh, radicalisation or extremism. They are one and of the same. An online life is, is just an extension. So there's a danger of people who are uh, vulnerable to radicalization or being exposed to campaigns like this that is false, misleading, or disingenuous uh, information. And really, the, the crux of the matter is that social media is an accelerant uh, on the fire in, in a situation or a debate like this. And it's helping to spread. And that's why campaigns and hashtags like this are dangerous. Yeah, I just want to put that back to Matty because I'm just conscious in even having this conversation, Matty, which I, I'm acknowledging is a distinction to what that hashtag is that's been trending. But are we playing in 
to that viewpoint. That's a danger, certainly, and I appreciate that. But I'm listening to people on a daily and an hourly basis since it started. We didn't have the plan. We have groups in every town and community in care with faulty stock. It's wonderful to see them. I brought down the ambassador, uh, the European ambassador to see the, the training, teaching English and engaging in the families. It's wonderful work going on. But as I said, we can only do so much and we're doing a lot. And, and the public have been wonderful here and the people opened their homes and there's not a repeal to them and they will, I'm sure, as I always did. But we just can't have, or in this, we just can't say there's no end in sight for it. We're a country, and Nessa mentioned European policy, or, or Philip. Yes, this is the problem with European policy, but we're welded to European policies and we seem to be the best at engaging and doing whatever Europe say, and as Taoiseach certainly is, and others. Would, and would I, you I, I consider bringing that. in a family yourself? Sorry? Would you have considered bringing in a family no, yourself? We, we have a large family ourselves. There's six, there's six of us in the house at the moment. So I, I have families that are in and places mm. and, and I want to be as welcoming and help. And we've helped. And my, my colleague, Michael Collins, had a wonderful case where he helped a very, very sick child who came in and the rally and the support he got from the community down in West Cork. So but that was by him. We met him yeah. in Dublin here outside the hospital one day, had an operation they couldn't have. And it was a miracle that he got here. Mm. Every state agency, everybody involved with the shoulder to the wheel. It was a wonderful result, but I was just saying, we, we just can't have a government and take more, okay. take more. I just want to put another point to you, Nasa, that uh, Matty raised, which is, this is the Department of Children. They've been given mm. the lead on this. And there was, I suppose, reports in the papers, certainly at the weekend, that they're feeling pretty isolated at this point. Are they overwhelmed? Have they been left to deal with something that really they're not equipped to deal with? Well, I, th I think Minister O'Gorman is incredibly committed mm. to it and, and mm. really has gone above and beyond, really, really committed to it. I would say that, look, the scale of this, and I, and I don't want to minimise the scale and the, and the, the requirements of this um, undertaking, uh, would necessitate every department, just like the ending of direct provision will need the Department of Housing to get on board. This also needs everybody to pull together, and I'm particularly... So does he need more support? Uh, look... We, all, we need all hands on deck and, and what, that's why it's good to see, let's say, the idea of um, teaming up with local authorities to, to get more vacant homes online. So we need everybody. We need everybody doing everything as much as we can. So I, I think he's very committed and, and it is being led by, by his department, but certainly every department has their, their part to play. And perhaps they need to play more? Yes. Well, maybe, perhaps, yeah. Um, Philip, tomorrow uh, the Department of Integration's Secretary-General is going... And before an Raktus committee. What is he expected to say? I think it's Kevin McCarthy, isn't it? Um, I'm unsure, okay. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I, I, I think know. one of the things we're going to discuss tomorrow is that there's been an underspend in, in the budget mm. for last year for 2021. Does that surprise you? No. Given the fact that we're in the middle of a housing crisis, it does it not seem slightly odd that there's money that hasn't been spent on something like accommodation I, I, for I, refugees? I come back to my point. Look, Korea. Kona was launched at the plow match <clears throat> there, and people aspire to it, renovating old buildings, but the council haven't got a shilling, they've got no information packs, so the ministers announced stuff, and there's a huge disconnect. The county council tell me all the time they don't have money. They're doing up three vides in Tipperary. Our last briefing for the council manager, they're doing three vides in Tipperary. I welcome one is very close to me, and it's closed with right. probably 10, 12 years, and they're spending, uh, but only three. And as I said, they're, they're, they're okay. literally, 
there are hundreds of them in every county, so it's just they haven't the money to funding the council, and there's a huge disconnect. It's not happening. Nasa, do you want to get in there? Well, there's a couple of issues that, that are, are relevant there. There's a capacity issue coming out of COVID. Um, and of course, no country would have been expected in, in January to be ready for 60,000 refugees. Um, and so while the money is there and it'll be rolled over, that capacity issue continues. All right, look, we're going to, have to leave it there. My thanks to Philip and Kieran. After the break, the age of anxiety examined. Our expert panel has advice on how to cope. Stay with us. Welcome back. Well, a study by St. Patrick's Mental Health Services earlier this year. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. You're examining attitudes to mental health and stigma. Found nine out of ten people in Ireland believe there is a worrying level of anxiety in Irish society, and six out of ten are afraid of experiencing mental health difficulties in the future. So, are we now living in an age of anxiety? Well, NASA Hurrigan from the Green Party and Independent TD Matty McGrath have stayed with me, and joining us now is journalist John Gibbons, psychotherapist and author Richard Hogan and via Skype this evening by Dr Aoife O'Sullivan, who is the HSC ICGP clinical lead on mental health. You're all right, welcome to the programme. Richard, I'm going to start with you. You know, we hear this word, and I think a lot of us use this word on an almost daily basis, but what is anxiety? Well, you're right, it's certainly part of the lexicon, Kira. It's an everyday speech, you hear kids using it all the time. And anxiety is a, an emotional response to a perceived threat. It's generally future-oriented, and uh, people who suffer with anxiety have a, an underlying paradigm or a belief that they haven't got the skills or the reservoir of tools to meet whatever that unknown future event might be. And so they often have a fear of like, surprise or uncertainty. And so they try to, they try to manage their lives and they try, to make the, they try to make everything more certain in their lives. And when they have a fear at this, they generally have three responses. They try to control it, which would be obsessive. They try to avoid, which would be phobic, and they look for reassurance. And I said, there's a lot of parents listening to this conversation and they would have children that come to them a lot for reassurance. And what they'd notice 
is the more reassurance they give them, the more they need reassurance and they get caught in this trap of going around and around. And it's the same with control and avoidance. And it's very important that we, we learn how to parent it and help, help our children out of it. Is it a very difficult thing when you have it to rationalise, to yeah, talk well, yourself out of? Yeah, it is, very, it is very difficult. And there's lots of neuroscience around that, how it, you know, it doesn't allow you to go up to the neocortex and, and rationally think about what the threat is. You know, so I, I, could, I could see a tiger here and I get really terrified. I see it in the zoo. I, I can analyse that and realise I'm safe in this situation. But when you've got anxiety, you, can't, you don't differentiate between the threat and the perceived threat and the real threat. I mean, there's always been anxiety, yeah. I presume. It's always been there for Absolutely. generations. Is it more heightened now? Is there more of it? Or have we just become more accustomed to talking about it? Well, our world is incredibly more complex than ever before. Mm -hmm. And just think about here what we've gone through in the last 10 years. We've given our kids, you know, a, a century worth of, of issues. A pandemic, a, a climate, you know, climate change is a huge problem there that they're listening to all the time. And listen to this, the, the literature around that. They have, you know, the economic crisis, the pan, you know, the war in Ukraine, now the cost of living. I mean, they've, the threats, the, the, the Olympic system, the threat system here is firing massively because of the information around it. And we have to tell our kids too that the news is a bit of entertainment as well and it's designed to cause a bit of, like, you know, fear. And we have to be careful of that because if they're consuming all this negative information, it will be firing and they will be fearful. Because we had, I suppose, many of us, a heightened sense of anxiety during COVID, during yeah, the pandemic. Has that now sustained because of everything else that's going on? I think, the, I think just coming out of the pandemic, we took a breath and then the war in Ukraine. And so it's, it's just le it's led on from one catastrophe to another catastrophe. So we haven't had actually any let up from this in, in, a, in a good two or three years. Um, if I want to come to you, because obviously you're seeing, you know, patients on a daily basis coming in with a number of different ailments. I'm wondering how many of them come in to you with anxiety. Um, a large number. So in GP practice, probably 25% of our workload is in mental health. Um, but then you also have the effect of anxiety and physical health um, presentation. So people might be coming in with, you know, stress, high blood pressure, panic attacks, and that's all down to anxiety as well. So we do know that in surveys, up to 50% of young people particularly will um, identify with having anxiety symptoms. So it's about 50% of young people. That seems incredibly yeah. high. Is that on the increase, decrease? Well, it was on the increase. So there, um, I'm basing this on um, a survey called My World Survey, which was done with teenagers and young adults between the age of 25 and 2012, and again in 2015. So they were able to compare the statistics, and this is before COVID. And yeah, the numbers had gone up um, even before. And we can only imagine that with the COVID pandemic and all of the other Ukraine and everything else that's been happening, environmental crisis, it's, it's it must be going up. Um, outside of children, is it all age groups? Is it men and women, all demographics? Maybe slightly more in women, but yes, in all demographics, absolutely, yeah. And I suppose there is maybe a small bias that women might be more inclined to uh, come forward to their GP with mental health, but we, we do know it's across all demographics. And what is it that they're saying is causing their anxiety? I know you've identified some of the issues maybe affecting younger people. What about older generations? So it's hard sometimes to put a finger on what's causing it because we experience anxiety as part of our normal life. It's when it becomes excessive that it's the problem because excessive anxiety starts to impact on our ability to cope with 
with what we need to do in life, um, with the ability to work, to study, to, to do normal daily life activities. Um, so those things like work, exams, everything increases anxiety levels, and when it increases it to the level that you're not coping, and that it's stopping you from doing what you need to do, then you, you know, then it's a problem. Uh, Matty, is it across the board? I mean, is it as much a problem in rural Ireland as it is in you know fast-paced urban Ireland? It knows no boundaries. Honestly, it's there, and these things are not held by it. Like we totally would all the areas that was outlined, the fear factor and one crisis to the next. And, you know, so little support. As well as that, when I was born, growing up, there was nine children in the house. There was two widows and there was a farm. So there was never less than 14 at a dinner table. Farming now has become such a lonely occupation. One, and, you know, even the milk collection now, it comes in at three or four in the morning in some cases. It's a 24-hour thing. And going to the cream, and rituals that were there, and, of course, religion and everything else, they, they, they were all there before, but many of them have been stripped away. And so there's more of a sense of isolation. Oh, That's yes. That's what's yes. leading to a lot and, of the anxieties. I, I think I, I said it somewhere like yesterday. My wife came across a situation where a cousin of hers, which she, St. Vincent de Paul, visiting a 74 or 5-year-old, recently, you know, duskish and no lights on, no heating on, dressed up in a coat and a window open for fear of COVID. Like, those two lasting issues are... And now the whole talk about... the. Will we have ESP? Will they be blackouts? Will we be able to afford it? So, and a pandemic coming again this winter, building This it. is what's been uh, built up. And the media have to take a, a share of the blame. I and mean, we can't shoot the messenger, but, and politicians, all of us. But it is, it is a, a difficult area. And it, I talk about Tipperary. We have no mental health service. Literally none. We don't have one long stay bed in a county that's 117 miles long. We have only very few limited crisis houses, beds. Mm. 40% of the positions, nearly 50 across the sector of CAMS and everything else for psychological services are not filled. And it's a crisis there. People are clamouring and begging for three and four years, trying to scrounge money together to go private yeah. and not getting any services afterwards. It's a huge issue, huge issue. Uh, and that's right a look at, I know you're going to say, look, there was a massive increase in spending in the mental health area, in the health budget, but it was coming from a very, very low base, but it's barely skimming the surface, isn't it? I, I'm not sure we'll, we'll get to enough on health services for, for many a year. We did go up to 1.2 billion this year. Mm. Um, I, I think that when it comes to this, and we talked a little bit about, you know, that youth, youth cohort, but I, I think increasingly, and I'm on the committee, the subcommittee for mental health, what we see at that committee is a need for services that reach out to particular groups. So let's say when it comes to anxiety, for a lot of people, that's a low level requirement. Mm. You know, that could be dealt with online, that could be dealt with through your school. Um, but, you know, that, that could happen across a number of cohorts. So for example, the travelling community have a desperate need for more mental health services. People with disabilities have very particular needs around mental health services. Mm. So I think what we can be doing is utilising better, and certainly you are seeing this starting to be rolled out with slant care, um, you know, more access to, or more pathways towards service through, let's say, things like your school, through your primary care centre and through your community. And that's really yeah. how we will start to deal with those issues. And, and, and I accept there might be some inroads, there's maybe some improvements, but the HSC did provide <coughs> us with uh, figures this evening on the CAMS waiting list. Definitely. And as of August of this year, there's 3,957 children on the waiting list. Over 1,300 of those are waiting less than 12 weeks. But 484 of those children, nearly 500 children, Nasser Hurrigan, waiting more than 52 weeks, waiting more than a year. I mean, what what damage is that doing to those children? It's doing incredible damage to them. And it's, it's 
absolutely imperative that we implement the MASCU report and, 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 and make the changes to CAMS and really focus on, on those waiting lists. I, I think it's 72, 72 million or so that they're, that they're planning to spend on, uh, on that kind of area and on the youth mental health plan. Um, but it can come soon, soon enough for people. And I, and I know that there's parents and they come to me in my constituency clinic all the time, absolutely tearing their hair out because they cannot get the, the services that they need. And we have just a very long road to travel to get this right. Um, John, I'm just conscious that um, both Richard and Aoife, our GP who we're speaking to this evening, have mentioned climate and the environment as an issue that is causing real anxiety uh, amongst our children. Mm. You know, do we have a responsibility as a media and you as an environmentalist and a journalist that we are more conscious about how the message is being, I suppose, interpreted and taken on board by young people? Yeah, I think it's incredibly important, as you say, in, in how we message. Now, also, of course, the message itself is a big part of the issue here. We can't simply say, well, um, we've got to try and avoid uh, difficult messaging because, because of these consequences. Uh, I'll give you an example. There's a study of 10,000 university students from 32 countries was published last month. And they found, for example, that just, just under one in two described themselves as either very are extremely worried about uh, climate change. Drilling down into that, one in four describe themselves, this is a sample of 10,000 mm. students, as terrified. Now, you can say that that's the media hyping it up, or you can say it's uh, activists or other people, you know, over-egging the cake. Unfortunately, their reaction is absolutely in line but with do we what want, the science do we is want, saying. John, our young people, do we want 25% of them to be terrified, to be living with that fear at such a young age? But what's... I mean, the issue really is this. We can, for example, pretend that this isn't happening. And, of course, the point about this, this was from 32 countries. These are people... It isn't just that they're getting this on TikTok, Kira. They're seeing it out their windows. Yeah, they're I'm experiencing extreme weather events, devastating weather events. The Northern Hemisphere this year, for anybody paying attention, we've had devastation okay. from China I, I just, to North America, yeah, right and, across. And we've covered people that, are not blind to that. Um, we've covered that extensively on the programme. I just hear you saying there, Matty, it's not right. No, it's not right to have our children. Children should be allowed to play and enjoy their school years without having them frightened to that extent on any issue. And climate change is the latest one. And they are terrified and they've been really, really, uh, you I, know, taking over the, the, also taking over the school curriculum. I feel sorry for the teachers to try and keep balance. You know, it was so innocent when I was going to school and my kids going to school in right. recent just, years. But, but it is, I suppose, a reality. I'm just wondering what do you think, Richard, because you did say there at the beginning when you were speaking about you know, teaching children coping mechanism, mechanisms, yeah. making them resilient, yeah. not reassuring them, you know, yeah. not hiding the Absolutely. truth from them. Yeah. I hear what John is saying. I mean, this is a truth, this is a difficult truth. But I hear what Maddie's saying also that, you know, we want our children to grow up and we don't want them to lose their childhood worrying about something that, you know, that, let's be honest, we, we will be, it will be a solid, unified approach to it and we will sort this thing out. I mean, that's what's going to, if we, if we go at it together and collectively, I think terrifying our children and having that, you know, them fearful of everything that's going on around them, it's going to deprive them of their childhood. And also, who makes a good decision when their cognition is hot? Very few people. So we need to be calm and we need to have a, you know, unified approach to it. But also, can I just say, it's really important here on this issue is that who we bring into our schools to talk about mental health, that's a real problem. And, it, and it's a ubiquitous problem around, around this country. We're bringing people into our, country, into our schools who are minor celebrities talking about their own mental health problems and they're, they're endorsing mental health for our children. And we have to be very careful, and if principals are listening to this, we have to be very careful who we bring into our schools to talk about mental health because what we're doing is we're endorsing it. 
Are we endorsing it yeah. or are we just recognising it? I think the way we're... I think who we're are bringing... we just opening up the conversation that we didn't have in this country for a long time? No, I, I, I think the conversation needs to be opened up and I think we've taken a lot of the stigma out of this, which is really, really important. But if you bring in a, a celebrity who talks about the fact that they cut themselves or they had suicidal ideation, and I, I'm, I'm sitting in school and let's say John Lennon comes in and tells me about this, teenagers are so suggestive. They're so incredibly suggestive. They go away and think about these things. And there's contagion with mental health, and we have to be very careful about how we talk about it and how we promote it. OK, I just want to put that to Aoife. Aoife, if you're still there. Aoife, do you agree or disagree with what Richard is uh, saying? That We need to be careful, more careful, about discussing anxieties and mental health. Look, I think it's good to be careful when you're discussing these things. It's a very serious conversation. We have to be very careful with what people are accessing, I suppose, through schools, but also on their screens, through social media. We know that increased screen time going over, um, I think, three hours a day, which is quite easy to manage, is definitely shown to have a negative impact on mental health. Increasing anxiety and decreasing resilience, decreasing the ability to cope, because I suppose you're not in real life. Um, so coping skills and resilience skills, building those skills would be, I think, a key part in managing this. OK, Richard, what is the best, I suppose, advice for people watching tonight? Not just people who might have children who, you know, present with anxiety yeah. or tell their parents they feel anxious, but for the parents themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Keir, it's a really important thing, right? I think a huge problem here is a, a backlash to how we were reared as parents as children growing up with our parents, and they might, we might have met ineffectual parents who were quite austere. And so as a corollary to that, we want to meet all our kids' needs, and we're taking away the obstacles for them. What's anxiety? It's a, an, a, a feeling that you haven't got the ability to meet a, st a stress, right? And so how does that come along? A parent removes all the obstacles for them going through their life. And so I meet it all the time in my clinic, young adults coming in, and they haven't got the skills to meet the slings and arrows of life. They've been removed from them. That's not about blaming parents, but it's about warning parents. OK, but what about the parents themselves? Because there's as many yeah, you know, yeah. people of that generation in their 30s and 40s who perhaps were reared differently who are also suffering with anxiety. And we have, exactly, and we have to watch our anxiety around our children because there is, you know, modelling. We we, we, our, our children are looking at us as a template, how we respond to things. They're going to take that on board and they're going to use that as a as their response to when they feel stressed, when they can't find something. That's exactly what happens. That, that gets modelled for them. And so we have to be careful as parents. All right, look, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, but just to let you know, you can contact helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines. My thanks to Dr O'Sullivan, to Matty and to Richard for joining us for that discussion this evening. I hope we will get back to it again in the near future. But after the break, is it all a bunch of hocus pocus when it comes to Halloween decorations? Well, as most people here know, Halloween has become another holiday filled with decorations to fill the house and costumes lie in the middle aisles and shops. But how much of this is impacting on our environment and what can we do to improve our habits or do we need to? Nasa and John are still here. And John, the reason we're discussing this this evening is because of a tweet that you put out earlier in the week where you said, would it sound churlish to implore parents of young kids not to celebrate Halloween with such wanton displays of throwaway plastic tat. I, mean, I don't know what the bah humbug equivalent is <laughs> for Halloween, but is that not it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I was just on my on my my daily rounds, uh, and I came across this uh, particular um, 
house and this is obviously people with young kids very obviously and uh, I guess uh, my teenagers are a little bit beyond the, 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 the that phase of the Halloween thing so I, I get it I'm not a Grinch about these things but it just it's like so many things in life a little is great but what we've done is we've really gone completely over the top when it comes to the celebration of Halloween yeah in I what mean, way in a, essentially what we're looking at here is the taking over of this by commercial interests and turning it into a mini Christmas and the pushing of cheap plastic disposables. And when I say disposable, Kira, they're not really disposable. Most of this plastic waste, first of all, it's shipped, it's a petrochemical, it's shipped from the other side of the world, arrives into Ireland, is used for maybe a couple of days, is then thrown out, and because of the nature of these products, they're, 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 they're effectively unrecoverable. And in Ireland, for example, 70% of our plastic waste is burned instead of recycled. So is it this sort of stuff that, you know, maybe I might have had in my own home, for example, or seen in the office in the last couple of days, is this the type of stuff that you pick up in the middle aisle or you pick up in one of the, um, you know, cheaper shops and yeah. you use it on Halloween night? But I you mean, potentially could use it year after year. Well, some like the, what you have there those items are potentially resilient and reusable. The thing that really, I suppose, uh, caught my eye is this um, plastic uh, cobweb, cobwebbing, mm. that people are, are festooning over bushes and branches and trees. Now, this is snagging wildlife, and it's also getting blown away and washed away and ending up in our waterways. This is basically, it's like plastic candy floss. And this stuff has no business in the outdoors at all. But I suppose there will be parents watching tonight who have that stuff all over their bushes know, outside and around their front doors and they're saying, oh, for the love of God, like we're spending the last part of the programme talking about anxiety and how difficult the last few years have been with a cost of living crisis, a pandemic, et cetera, et cetera, a war. You know, give us a break. Yeah, sure. And as I say, I'm not here to be the, the Grinch that, that killed Halloween. Absolutely not. And I think... However, what I am trying to draw attention is to the fact that these celebrations, and I've seen them with my own kids, these started out as simple things where you, you went out and you went from house to house with a few sweets and, 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 and all the rest, maybe an orange and an apple, into the bucket. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. And we have the same, exactly the same thing, Kira, where the Christmas season, sorry for mentioning, the, mentioning that word tonight, the Christmas season has now been pushed by advertisers and marketers yeah, all but, the way but, back into October. Uh, but no, so like people have a choice, do they not? Do you know what I mean? I mean, there'll be plenty of people watching tonight thinking, I don't really mind if Halloween has got bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it's a break in the wet, dreary winter months before we get to Christmas. I mean, look, we, we do Halloween big in our house. Um, I have small children and my house is festooned. Um, not, with single-use plastics? Not, and... not with the cobwebs. I, I also hate those <laughs> because they, they do catch birds and they kill them. Um, and they, they are really awful. However, we, you're right, we just, just talked about anxiety and it is incredibly important that people, you know, take their, their pleasure where they can, they can. And I have to say, it's, as somebody, I, I, you know, I've tried to cut down on my own waste over many years now and, and kind of went almost full zero waste there for a while. Um, and Halloween, I can tell you, is a, hugely easier to do it than Christmas where you have small children and if they want the Bluey Playhouse, in my house, they're going to get it. I don't mind about the plastic tat. But in on Halloween, you can you can do pumpkins. You can, we in Are our we house. We're talking about going back to bobbing up 
pulls well, I, I, we do pumpkins do. <laughs> and get the white sheet out of the press, cut out two holes and call yourself without, a ghost. Without sounding too kind of traditional about it, we do have a little party in our house and we do the flower with the grape on top that usually ends in somebody crying and uh, bobbing for apples. So it is possible, but I think, you know, look... For because every, for a lot every, of us who have young us, children, sorry not to cut a costume, I'm just thinking for a lot of us who have young children, the thing we do buy every single year is a new costume. Do you do that? You know, I don't. I have three. And so I have now a bag of costumes that have gone around my sisters. So that, that's very easy to do. I think the difference here is that, and, and I certainly do this, particularly at Christmas with decorations and the like, um, is that it's more about kind of treasuring what you have. And I, I, I like that process of taking things out and, and I remember them from the last Christmas and, and valuing the things you have. And, and it's, not, it's not that you wouldn't buy that little pot or that mm. little basket. It's just that you keep it for the next year and it reminds you of, of the year before. And it's about treasuring, you know, those things and, and moving away from a throwaway culture. That's why we have the circular economy bill, that we would move away from, I bought it, but that's going to last 500 years. So why don't I hold on to it for another five? Uh, I'm just hearing that on Twitter this evening, you're being called a climate fanatic. John, you're trying to cancel Halloween. <laughs> you know, what next? And I am conscious, you know, if you're trying to bring people on this climate journey, some people who might be reluctant and who are finding it difficult to make big changes in your life, you know, are you possibly losing supporters this way by tackling something like Halloween, like a few cobwebs out in a bush? It was a tweet and it was uh, your show's uh, decision to actually make a TV mm. item out of it, just for, for context, right? I put a tweet out based on an observation, as I do, as many people on Twitter do. So, But it got so, a huge reaction. Yeah, yeah. It, got, know, it, got it got a big a reaction, reaction sure. to it, did. Yeah, I mean, as I say, it's, it's the, you know, I didn't, I said at the outset, I'm not the Grinch that wants to shut down Halloween. That's not really what this is about. It's rather, like, we as parents are trying to, uh, kind of figure out with our kids to give them values in the world that we're living in. And Just think and, twice. Yeah, but also to, to basically manage in a world of limits. And this is really right. the message we send to our kids uh, is that we've all, we're all in this together. All right, thank you to all of my guests this evening. That's it from us. See you tomorrow night. Take care.